1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Something Rhymes with Purple. This is a podcast all about words and language uh, presented by me, Susie Dent, and my Zoomed co host, Giles. Morning, Giles.
0: Good morning. Reporting for duty, sir. Uh, Madam, I'm not quite sure. What do they say? Because we're going to be in the army now. We're having a military episode.
1: We are. Do you know why? We have had so many people requesting this as a subject for our podcast, including David Turley, Brian LeBlanc, Lionel Jones um, and many more. So, yes, we're going to take a close look at the army. And I should just say it's such a huge subject, the military, in terms of its impact upon language, that we are going to concentrate on the army for this uh, podcast, but we are going to return and certainly cover submariners, the Navy, airmen and airwomen. So we will return.
0: Do you have military connections in your family? Well, I imagine your grandparents will have served in the war.
1: Yes, they did. And my dad was in the RAF and he was an air traffic controller and he well, he served in Gibraltar, which is apparently a nightmare for landings and takeoffs. So I'm um, very proud of him from that point of view. Um, how it about still you? is a nightmare
0: for landings. I mean, if you go there on holiday, you actually land over the main road. They oh, wow. close the road while the aeroplanes land. It's one of those places. Oh, how amazing!
1: Yeah. How about you? I sense well, that you do. Uh,
0: yeah, my, well, my grandfather was in the Indian Army. Ah. Oh. Uh, so he was, as it were, a British person in the Indian Army, uh, and he until nineteen forty-seven, and he came home to retire. My father was in the army during the Second World War. Mm-hmm. I have a son who was in the army. I have a son-in-law who is in the army and indeed now actually runs a military charity. But I had a fascinating experience when my son was at Sandhurst where Mm -hmm. he did some officer training and we went to the parade where they all, when they're graduating and I was following the head of Sandhurst, the the commanding officer and the young female cadet officer who had won the sword of honour that year and I was walking behind them and the the young woman who had won this sword of honour, she said to the commanding officer, what do I do with the sword of honour? He said, well, you enjoy looking at it today, and then you give it to your parents, who will hang it in the spare bedroom, <laughs> and you will never, ever refer to it again. Oh, wow. Wasn't that interesting? Yeah. It was quite a chilling moment. So um, you may meet uh, a courageous young female soldier... Mm. Uh, who doesn't tell you that she actually got the sword of honor from uh, because it just isn't done? So it's a whole world. What I understood—that's what I want to talk to you about. What I understood in that that moment was that there is a kind of law, l o r e, and language mm. that people in the army speak.
1: Yes, and it's nothing new either, because for centuries the language of the military has played a really important role. You know, I've talked before about Captain Francis Gross. Oh yes. He wrote, as you know, the classical dictionary of the vulgar tongue, but he proudly named soldiers as one of the most classical authorities for slang. And I'll give you, again, my trio today are going to be some of the things that he mentioned in his dictionaries coming from that military slang. Basically, he set the way for recording, I suppose, the slang used in the army and, and the other armed forces. And then during the two world wars, military slang had a profound impact on the English language. And it's always... It always seems like a real irony that at times of real destruction have such a kind of generative effect on language. You know, it actually really catapults lots and lots of words into the English language. We know quite a lot of them, whether you're shell-shocked or um, whether you conk out, whether you binge drink. So many of these actually come from the, from the military and over the top. I mean, we, in fact, we must do at some point language of the First World War and the Second World War because it's such a huge topic.
0: Well, let's join the army and let's start with the ranks. Let's start at the bottom. If you join the army, you're a private. That's the lowest rank, I think, isn't it?
1: It is the lowest rank. And it's quite interesting, this. Um, Private, and this is no insult to all the privates out there who perform an incredibly important job, but it's actually a near synonym of the Greek idioties which, and which became our idiot. And it referred not to somebody who was lacking in intelligence or was just a bit, you know, stupid, but to someone cut off from public office. So someone who was an unofficial individual, that's what an idiot meant in Greek society. And Privatus in Latin had a very similar idea. It was somebody who wasn't of high office, and uh, so it was a private individual and, and the sort of rank sense went into the army, meaning someone of the lowest rank who hadn't yet acquired a higher office.
0: You've confused me with this idiotes. What has idiotes got to do with anything?
1: Because idiot started the same way as private. It didn't have anything to do with intelligence and everything to do with your rank in society. So if you were an idiotes in Greek society, it simply meant you did not hold a public office.
0: Ah, I see. So the lowest of the low in Greek society were the idioties. And we yeah.
1: uh, yeah, uh, that's way.
0: evolved into the common and garden idiot.
1: Yes. Not originally the lowest of the low, but yes, people who perhaps were seen as not being in the know and of any influence. And, and then hence, yeah, the idea of ignorance came later on. So that's a private. And what have we got? We've got a lieutenant as well, haven't we? And I have to, I have to address the why is it left when it's spelled lew? And the idea, we think, is that someone misread the U for an F because the characters looked very similar centuries ago. And, um, and that's why we pronounce it that way, even though we didn't change the spelling. And as you know...
0: Americans say lieutenant, don't they?
1: They say lieutenant. And so they are closer to the etymology, which is lieu in French, place, and tenant, holding. So a lieutenant was somebody who was standing in, a placeholder for someone in higher office.
0: Very good. What about corporal?
1: Related to the French corps, meaning a, a body. Um, so a member like, of the body. Is a, a member corporat. of the body, exactly.
0: So you've got private, corporal. You've got uh, sergeant. Lieutenant. Sergeant, oh yeah, sergeant. Yes,
1: um, that came from Old French this time, so it probably came over with the Normans, but its ultimate root is the Latin severe, meaning to serve. And its early use was of an attendant or a servant, and then it was transferred over into the military to mean a common soldier. Soldier itself is quite interesting. Oh, yeah, soldier, give us soldier. Soldier goes back to the Romans solidus, which was a gold coin, um, because it cost money to raise an army of mercenaries. And, you know, eventually they would have been paid in gold coin. And infantry is a weird one. That's linked to infant because it comes from a Latin term. It's always Latin, meaning non-speaking, because maybe like children, soldiers never talk back. Maybe that's the idea. So, again, it's the, the sort of lower rank, I suppose, the junior rank. If you're in the inventory, I think that's the idea there. Things like
0: captain and major are more obvious, I suppose, the etymology there. Yes,
1: captain is related to capital, cabbage, but that's a different story. It all oh, goes forget, back Quick, to,
0: sorry. You can't <laughs> just say it's a different story.
1: Cabbage? It goes back cabbage. to the Latin, caput, meaning head. So a capital letter is the sort of the head letter, if you like. A capital city is the head city and a captain is the head, but also a cabbage because it looks like a head. Oh, oh, that's lovely. (laughs) I love that. A major? Weird siblings. Major, yes. Major, minor is the idea of greatness.
0: Uh, uh, Very good. General?
1: General, um, actually, that's a really good one. I'm not because sure I know this
0: one. You think you go from the general to the particular, but why is a general? Yeah. Are they generally in charge? Are they? Well, I
1: have to ask the OED this
0: one. We ought to explain to newcomers to this uh, podcast that Susie is the world's leading lexicographer, in my view, and she knows more about words than anybody else in the language. And everything she says, she comes from the top of her head, except when she doesn't know <laughs> or half knows when she. Goes and consults her complete Oxford English Dictionary, where she used to work. I think this'll be to do with being a general officer, mm. covering a variety of things. So is the officer the in charge the of- whole army,
1: I guess, isn't it? Here we go. 1548 is the first reference here. A military officer of high rank, the commander of the whole yeah, the whole army. It says the word officially denotes an officer holding the rank next below that in the British Army, a field marshal. Good grief. It's a really long entry here. But what you need to know, 16th century, and the idea was it was general of the army. Um, In other words, you were in charge of everything.
0: And I think outside members of the royal family, to be a field marshal, you actually have to have served in the field. So we don't have as many field marshals as we used to have. At the end of the Second World War, there were lots of them because they'd been out there in the field serving. But today, you only become a field marshal if you have Literally served in the field.
1: I love that, Uh, and and so so it should be.
0: What I did absorb my little brief time of visiting people in who were being trained for the army was they seem to talk a lot of slang. They do. uh, They don't call each other. Well, they may publicly say private and sergeant and lieutenant, but they seem to have funny nicknames for different roles.
1: Yes, they do. Uh, Shall I give you some of them? Please. Just I love them. So the club swinger is the PE trainer. The physical physical trainer, the Fang Farrier. What's that? What would you think that would the be? The dentist. Yes, very good.
0: The Fang Farrier. The I fang
1: love farrier. it. The Sky Pilot.
0: The Sky Psychiatrist.
1: No, like that one. It's the Chaplain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless yes. the sky
0: pilot who, as it were, takes you round the heavens. The Padre. Oh, I love it. The chaplain, the Padre. Yes. Yeah,
1: it's nice, that one. People of my
0: father's generation, my father was in the army during the war, whenever he saw a clergyman, he always said, "A oh, good morning, Padre. Even, even if it was somebody who never served in the armed forces. I if like that. he would that. meet the Archbishop of Canterbury, it's say, good morning, Padre. I like a, that. And Padre, of course, comes from the French or the Latin Padre, meaning father. Father,
1: exactly. Um, Modplod. Is a nickname for an officer in the Ministry of Defence Police. Oh. A grunt is an infantryman.
0: Because is that because what they do is they as they march around they grunt. Yes, <sighs> they
1: grunt exactly. I, so mean, I f- march. <clears throat> I should just say that inevitably, in you know, in certain regiments, etc., I'm sure they have different slang terms to these, but these are the ones that I picked up when I was writing my book about. Tribal language. So apologies if I've missed out the ones that any member of the forces listening to us has used. A sneaky beaky is a member of the special forces. Oh. Um, scab lifter. You can probably guess what this one is.
0: Uh, some kind of a doctor?
1: Yeah, medic. A scab lifter. I do A fobbit. I like this one.
0: No idea. Fobbit. A
1: fobbit is a service member who never crosses the perimeter of the forward operating base or the fob. Oh, the forward operating so they're, base. They're like a hobbit. They never go off. They're basically they never leave. They never leave <laughs> they, the camp. I like that one.
0: But does that mean they never also they never see action? Yes. They're sort of safely in the compound. Yes. While they, other people are being sent off to risk life and limb.
1: <laughs> exactly. What about a fetch?
0: A fetch? Mm. F-E-T-C-H? No, nope, no idea.
1: Dog handler. <laughs> oh, I love it. Fetch. Fetch. <laughs> That's Great. quite cute. Um, a full screw. Is a full corporal. A terp is an interpreter. Forgive me
0: for interrupting. A full screw is a... Full corporal. In the so army. a screw
1: would be a lance corporal. A screw, I think you're absolutely right, would be a lance corporal.
0: You see, why, what's, why is a lance corporal? What's a lance got to do with it? This shows you how old these terms are. Yeah. A lance corporal must go back to the times... I think when, when they were, were people skilled who with held lances. Yeah. Lances.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you had to perform certain things in order, again, to be a lance corporal. Lance Corporal is first recorded in Francis Gross's Dictionary that I mentioned, and it meant, hmm, broken lance. So Italian etymologists suggest that the primary sense was one whose lance has often been shivered in warfare, one who has seen much service. So if you have a broken lance, you have really seen some action. Isn't that lovely? I'm discovering things all the way here. I love it.
0: Well, this, can I say, is the joy of Something Rhymes With Purple. We just get into the world of words and keep digging and find the most extraordinary things.
1: Mm. Oh, and Tommy. We should mention Tommy, shouldn't we, as well? Well, Tommy's famous. Yes. But why are they called Tommy's? It was simply... You know how in English we love choosing generic names for things? So, as I've often said, magpie comes from Margaret. We've got the red robin, robin redbreast. Tommy is short for Tommy Atkins, and Tommy Atkins was essentially the generic name for a soldier. If you were a young officer, especially one from a privileged background, and actually we've got a, an email about this, you were a Rupert, um, because oh. you know, Rupert was seen as the uh, a posh typical name. Typical, name yeah. typical. Oh, hello. Hello. Yes.
0: Exactly. I'm Captain I'm, I'm Rupert. Exactly. How you go? Good to see you. Whereas well, Bono, Tommy Atkins, and I have a feeling Tommy Atkins was a character in a song from mm-hmm. the First World War. Mm-hmm. But I don't know which came first, the song or the name Tommy Atkins. How old is yeah. Tommy
1: Atkins? Um, Tommy Atkins is looks like eighteenth century. So, oh, you know, long we're going ago. back a long way. And I found out who emailed us about this. This was Johnny Nowak. I'm not sure if it's Novak or Nowak. Sorry, Johnny, if I've mispronounced it. But he he wanted to know about Rupert's. And Tommy's. But yeah, they obviously talking of nicknames. I mean, each soldier will have an individual nickname, a riff on their own name. So Tomo or Ginge or Smudger. I came across Leatherman, um, and Leatherman was <laughs> a joking nickname because his colleagues or her colleagues found them a complete tool. i <laughs> like oh, that one. Oh, goodness. Um, Del Monte. Is someone who always says yes.
0: I'm the man from... The man no. from
1: Del Monte. The man from Del Monte always says yes.
0: Oh, I see. You remember? I do remember. That's a, an ad from the sort of 1980s or 70s. Yes. So somebody who's the man from Del Monte, somebody who's, who's a yes man.
1: Yes man, even if the task is really unappealing. We all um, need a
0: man from Del Monte.
1: And i would mentioned this one to Lawrence, our lovely producer, and um, he laughed at this one. Have a guess at what a thrombo might be. If you were called a thrombo in the army... Short
0: for thrombosis?
1: Yes. A slow-moving clot.
0: Oh, no. (laughs) Always a real thrombo. Some of these, it's interesting, some of these phrases are very much not politically correct. Of course. And are quite unkind, but they still persist. I mean, there's a kind of license, is there, given within the military. You can use these terms. Outsiders would no doubt not understand them or protest against them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I think, I hope that a lot of these are teasing Nicknames, um, playful. Yes, I'm. I'm hope, I hope so. Fundamentally um, not unkind. Wings is another one. A soldier who's always flapping.
0: I love it. Here comes wings. The soldier Who's always <laughs> flapping. Oh, <how> tremendous!
1: <laughs> I mean, some of these are quite applicable in daily, you know, modern civilian life. I would say.
0: I think I'm right in saying that the first of the Carry On films was called Carry On Sergeant, and it was all about military life. It was made in the 1950s, only, you know, 10 years after the end of the first World, Second World War. And military life was very much part and parcel of everybody's... I only just missed out on having to do military service. Ah, OK. You know, people... Do you think, did oh, you
1: did you do any of that kind of practice stuff at school? Because no.
0: you went to quite a posh school. Oh, no. The school I went to was indeed an a, a independent boarding school, but it had a kind of... Uh, it was called B-Dales. It had a kind of, yeah, CND was, uh, we, we went on CND marches. Christian socialists, that was the sort of ethos of that. Pacifism was everywhere. We, we, we let the other poor buggers fight the wars for us so that we could live in peace. Anyway, that was that was the idea. Um, but no, but, um, but the rest of my family have made up for my general all-round cowardice. Are, are there words, as it were, unkind words in the army for... Mention mentioned cowardice for people who don't quite come up to snuff.
1: That's a really good question. I don't know. Maybe we can ask the purple people that because I, yeah, I don't think I heard of that. I mean, as I say, I think I would imagine that most of the nicknames that I've said are, as you say, playful and affectionate. I didn't actually hear any searing insults, but I'm sure they exist. And obviously there's rivalry between the forces. So that's probably where you'll find the most kind of excoriating stuff.
0: We are two people, you and I, from Civvy Street. Yeah, we are. What is the origin of Civy Street?
1: Civy Street is simply, yes, the, the civilian street. Why it became a street, I don't know. Tap, 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 tap. See what the OED tells us. 1915, the first mention of a civvy suit. 1943, simply, when I get back to Civy Street, I'll never moan about my job again. So, yeah, I think fairly transparently services flying for civilian life, get back to civil street.
0: Give me some of the words that are in daily use by military people.
1: I think life in the forces is obviously very regimented, but it also it operates at extremes, doesn't it? With preparation and waiting, um, hurry up and waiting, as they would put it, at, at one end and full conflict at the other. So, you know, you've got grope, which is the ground operational exercise. You've got stagging on if you're on guard duty. Yomping. Yomping is, is marching with a really heavy load. And gravel bashing was one time I picked up for basically marching around a, a parade square. Um, chin strapped is a nice one as well. Chin strapped is when you're utterly exhausted and possibly holding on by the chin strap of your helmet. Mm. Any idea what a desert lily would be?
0: I hate to think. Tell me.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a urinal made from a tin can, basically. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> desert lily. Yes. What are you doing? Water. You're watering the desert lily, You're watering are
1: Watering the what? desert li- lily, exactly. Bakshi, Bakshi is means free,
0: doesn't it? I got that bakshi. It didn't cost me anything.
1: Yes. But actually in the army, it can also it can be kit or equipment that's kind of off the record and so traded away from the quartermaster's official storeroom. And it's an alteration of bakshish, you know, oh. money.
0: Yes, from North Africa. Yes. Term um, picked up. Probably during the Second World War. Yes. When people were stationed in North Africa.
1: Yes, exactly. But it can also be a small sum of money given as a tip or a bribe. But yes, buck now used pretty much for free of charge, but that's slightly different meaning in the army. Um, a scratcher is a place to sleep while you're out in the field, possibly in a maggot, which was a term for a sleeping bag. Oh. Also a dos bag. Doss is a nice one, actually. If you're you're kind of a dosser or dossing out, you're looking back to Latin as well because it comes from the dorsum in Latin, meaning a back. So you're lying on your back.
0: Let's take a quick break. And then I want to hear about some of these military terms that have not been kept in the world of the army, but have come out into our world. Have joined us in Civvy Street. Good. also from something else.
1: Katie Piper's
0: Extraordinary People. Join Katie for a series of powerful and inspirational
1: conversations with people who have triumphed over adversity. With guests including Fern Cotton. And what about when you get really lazy journalism? So like people that draw just one line, they take it out of context. And that's really sad because... It is, it is. And lot, a lot. I've also been on the receiving end of it so, mm. so many times. Sometimes... To really tragic levels for me, where I've really not felt able to cope with it. Yeah. Zoe Sug and Nadia Hussein. I think the, the thing with women, firstly, is that women sometimes don't always like to see other women succeed. Mm-hmm. And I, I, th- I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think there's a lot of that. And I think that's why just it, it's really hard sometimes because it, 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 in the last four years I've changed so much. Mm.
0: Listen now in Apple Podcasts. Spotify, and all good podcast apps. We're in the army now. This is Giles Brandreth and Susie Dent. We're talking words, the origin of words. That's what this podcast, Something Rides With Purple, is all about. And this is our military episode. They eat, they drink, they must do. An army marches on its stomach. Mm. Said Napoleon, somebody like that. Mm. Anyway, scoffing.
1: Scoffing, Scran. I'm not sure if Scran actually started off in the army. Did Scoffing start off in the army? No, I don't think either of those did. They, they <laughs> were very much part of dialect. But, but you know, inevitably then they sort of, they creep into the into the sort of military slang and then get popularised and then come back out again. It's It's all one big circle. But mess is quite a nice one because the word mess is used for the groups within an army unit or ships company as well who eat together. And it seems a bit of an odd choice, doesn't it? Mess. Mm the officer's mess as well. The idea, first of all, built on the original meaning of a portion of food. And in in Scotland, shopping is still called messages. You know, I'm going for my messages. Didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Going for my messages. mm. Going to buy things at the shop. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Lots of our Scottish purple people will know that one. But the idea of a kind of unappetising concoction of different foods emerged in, in around the 1800s. And so, if you're in the military, you might draw your own conclusion for that. But from that, but I think the idea was simply that you would gather together in the army unit to eat anything that was that came your way, really. And uh, it might well be a mess, given the, the nicknames that they have. Because the long-standing terms for their food are things like MRE, officially stands for Meals Ready to Eat but known apparently by others as meals refused by everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're also called the three lies, which is they aren't meals, they aren't ready, and they definitely aren't edible. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, you've got, well, a wet is, um, is a term for a cup of tea quite often, as well as NATO standard. NATO standard means you're kind of your standard cup of tea, really. One of my favourite discoveries from an old dialect dictionary, dictionary was the word cackle fart. A cackle fart. A cackle fart was an old slang term for an egg. (laughs) Um, Oh, that's
0: funny. I can see it now. I can see the origin of that, a cackle fart. fart. (laughs) But in
1: the army, they call them cackleberries, which is also pretty brilliant. A slop jockey is the chef. Um, Your canteen medals are your food stains on a uniform. Oh, I like um, it.
0: My canteen medals. <laughs>
1: canteen medals. You've got battery acid for coffee. You've got army strawberries for prunes. I mean, honestly, anything that they can play around with, they will. And I love it because it's just got so much colour. So, you know, what, what you're eating will never just be called cool, its plain straight name it will always have some, they'll always riff on, on it in some in some rude way and you'll find that throughout the different forces as well you'll find different terms within um, That's the
0: nature of slang isn't it of It's course. a language for almost a closed society. Yeah. What about words that have slipped out from the military into civil street words that we all use?
1: Well I was thinking about yomping actually because um we used to talk about yomping to school we mentioned yomp earlier, but the, the most famous yomp, because we don't actually know where the term comes from, um, was in Falklands. And, and then it really came into prominence during 1982, and it was used by the Royal Marines then. It may have something to do with yump, which is apparently terminology of rally driving, which is to leave the ground while taking a crest at great speed. But that's just, you know, that hasn't been confirmed. But I think that's more or less slipped into into the mainstream. And there are you know, there are lots of others from from further back. So if you think about going Dulali, if we talked about that on the podcast before. I don't remember. Going Dulali. In fact, your grandfather would have known this one probably because it looks back to a military sanatorium called the lali in India. And oh. it was here that soldiers would wait their await their ship home. And it only came, I think ships only came between the months of May and November to avoid the wet season. You know, soldiers just would literally just wait there and wait and wait and wait. Quite often they had venereal diseases. Well, I'm sure this didn't apply to your grandfather, but they they weren't very well. They went a bit stir crazy and they were said to go diolali tap. And tap was the Urdu for a fever. So they had camp fever, in other words. And so diolali eventually became dilali. In army slang and then slips into oh. the mainstream. Gosh. Yeah. And
0: that is fascinating.
1: It is, isn't it? Just
0: one word like that, do which we still yeah. use all the time. We do. Uh, I must say, one of the interesting things about military life is that I think people now talk about the what, what we all recognize as post traumatic stress disorder. Of course. It obviously has existed for hundreds of years. Yeah. But in the olden days people didn't know about it or, or it was not recognized. No. I mentioned my son-in-law who's in the army. If anyone's interested in PTSD in action, he, my son-in-law's called Mark Evans, and he wrote a book, uh, an account of his time in Afghanistan called Code Black mm. and the effect of PTSD on officers actually fighting in Afghanistan. It is a it's a, a rattling good read. Anyway, it's called Code yeah. Black.
1: Yeah, it's just, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine how that will stay with you. And um, basically, we need we need to appreciate it more, don't we? Good for him for writing about it. Um, and other terms that came from the military originally into daily life, the alarm, you know, the alarm, if your alarm plot began as la Arme in Italian, which was a military oh. call to soldiers to prepare for attack.
0: Allarme, um, as in the French? la Arme. Arme,
1: Yeah. I think to prepare for attack is quite a good metaphor for the kind of body's reaction to the, you know, that horrible sound that you hear in the morning, the buzz from the bedside table. the
0: So ch- the alarm screen. clock, it's really a call to action, a, a call military to action. call to action.
1: And alert comes from the Italian "allerta" to the watchtower.
0: That's, oh, this is why I love this programme. <laughs> Dulali, alert, <laughs> alarm, alert. go on. Any more?
1: Um, Foo Fighters.
0: Foo Fighter? Tell me, what's a Foo Fighter?
1: A Foo Fighter is a UFO and it goes back to a sighting in 1944 from a night fighter squadron mission in the US. And essentially the radar operator saw a fireball that seemed to closely follow an Allied aircraft. And he was trying to describe this thing. And in his pocket, he had a comic. Um, It was a cartoon strip called Smokey Stover. And there was a firefighting hero in this who would always go around with this catchphrase, where there's foo, there's fire. And the cartoon strip illustrator had apparently seen the word foo on the bottom of a jade figurine in San Francisco's Chinatown. So he just played around with foo all the time. And foo fighter then became a sort of placeholder for various things. Anyway, when this radar operator apparently wanted to describe this UFO, he pulled the comic out of his pocket and said it was one of them fucking Foo Fighters. And then it just stuck in the public imagination. Not yours, obviously, Giles, but then have you heard of the hugely successful rock band, the Foo Fighters?
0: No, I'm not in touch with contemporary things at all.
1: <laughs> we'll move on from that one. Looking back to ancient military times, oh my goodness. That's more that's more my scene. So ancient many from times. that. So an ovation was a ceremony... That was the entering of Rome by a general who'd won a victory, but a victory not as important as a triumph. So and triumph and an ovation were the two kinds of Roman victories. A triumph was, was a victory over the enemy of the state um, and big chariots, which would carry the victorious commander in, into, the, um, the, into the stadium, I guess. And an ovation was a slightly less elaborate Honor. So there was no chariot involved, but the person could walk or ride a horse.
0: How intriguing. That's yeah. the, is that the origin of the word triumph as well as the word ovation? Yes, absolutely. Goodness. What about a Pyrrhic victory? That dates from the same sort of period, doesn't
1: it? Yes, Pyrrhic victory as well. Do you know the story of Pyrrhus? Not really. It was to do with a big bad battle, basically, in which there was a victory, but at such expense, at such loss of life, that it really wasn't won at all. So it was actually one to be avoided at all costs, even though it was classed as a win. Parting shot is another one. So the Parthians have a role in this one. So we talk about a parting shot. It might be some kind of fantastically witty remarks that you deliver as you're walking off. But Parthia was an ancient kingdom in what is now Iran, And the Parthians were well known for their tactics in battle, whereby they would pretend to be riding away and actually would then look back and fire an arrow, thereby surprising the enemy. So it was originally a Parthian shot, not a parting shot.
0: Well, look, I think we've had our parting shot. That's fascinating. We'll come back to military and we'll come back to Navy, Air Force, etc. in a few weeks time. But we've got to get in some listeners' questions. We've got so many listeners' questions. Could we devote next week to them? I think oh, we should. yes,
1: please. We have.
0: Let's just do one quickie, quickie okay. now. I feel like we haven't I mean, even
1: started on the army. I feel like we've probably missed so much out.
0: Well, we have. We can come back to these things. This is an ongoing conversation, Susie, and people can contribute to it. If you are in the military, uh, in particularly if you are in America and you've won a Purple Heart, you can tell us No, why Why is it called a Purple Heart? We are purple at somethingelse.com. Purple at something. Else.com, no G in the something. Let's just do one question this week. Okay. Somebody uh, inquired on Twitter. We're both on Twitter. You can communicate with us there. What is the origin of Pratt? I found it was a bit personal. They simply sent me a tweet saying, Charles, what is the origin of Pratt? Susie's bound to know. Charming.
1: I do. I do know. Origin is unknown, in fact, but the very first meaning of Pratt was a single buttock. So it then encompassed both buttocks. Um, and a Pratt fall, a comedy Pratt fall, is a fall on your buttocks. But it's basically the same as saying, calling someone an ass. Well,
0: that's riveting. <laughs> Thank you. So now you know, friend on Twitter, that's the origin of Pratt. It's a single buttock. Yes. And if we only had time for a single question. That's because next week, We're going to devote the whole of Something Rhymes in the Bible to a range of queries from you. A trio of words from you, Susie Dent now, that you love and feel would like to share.
1: Right. Okay. Well, I mentioned Francis Grose, his dictionary, the vulgar tongue and his celebration of military slang. So I'm going to give you three of the ones that he mentioned in his dictionary. One of them slightly slightly rude. So if any kids are listening, they, might, they may want to block their ears or pay massive attention, depending on their parents' point of view. Um, betwattled. Betwattled means confused or bewildered. We may have had that one before, but it's so useful in daily life. I am feeling well, completely indeed. betwattled. If, you ha- if we've had it before, it's because you were betwattled. Yes, always. Totally betwattled. I love it. <laughs> Talking of buttocks and prats, if you have particularly large ones, I mean, we've had a word before for particularly beautiful ones, which is clippagean. This is, if you've got particularly large butto- buttocks, according to Francis Grace, you are hopper-arsed. Don't ask me
0: why. <laughs> <laughs> a hopper asked, How yes. wonderful. You can't say that to people now, of course. You can't accuse somebody of being hopper asked, Or maybe it's a compliment because apparently a huge backside is very much de rigueur in yeah.
1: certain parts of town. and I think I'm all for it. Um, and finally, this is one where, yes, kids, kids turn away now. If you want to call somebody dull, lethargic and just really good for nothing, particularly if they're a man, you can call them a lobcock. And a lobcock in Francis Gross's dictionary simply means a relaxed penis and, by extension, someone who's not really much cock.
0: Children, you can tune in again now because (laughs) this is Giles with a limerick. There was a young lady named Rose who had a big wart on her nose. When she had it removed, her appearance improved, but her glasses slipped down to her toes. (laughs) This is something rhymes with purple. We try to have something for everybody. And we hope you will join us next time when we'll be dealing with your questions and queries. Uh, thank you, Susie, for giving us all the military intelligence that you have.
1: Oh, well, thank you. There's so much more. And uh, we, yeah, we can't wait to hear more from the Purple people who will have more expertise, I think, than we will in this one. But Something Rides With Purple is a Something Else production. It was produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Grace Laker and Jay Beal. And apparently, God, he's gone AWOL.